0: Today, on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
1: I think that perhaps the biggest way that time is your enemy, please hear me on this, is when the passing of time causes something that once was special and important and cherished to become common and ordinary and unwanted just because of the passing of time.
0: Have you ever looked back over a broken relationship and couldn't believe that what was once extraordinary and deeply cherished is now ordinary and unwanted? Can you pick out something that you did or didn't do to hinder the growth of that relationship? In today's message, Pastor Gary will explain that if you don't work at your relationship, whether it's a relationship with a person or your relationship with God, it will suffer and lose its importance and value in your life. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Nahum as he begins his message withstanding the test of time.
1: We come now to the seventh out of the 12 minor prophets, and his name here is Nahum. A little background on Nahum before we read from chapter 1. His name in Hebrew is Nahum. Nahum in Hebrew means comfort or consolation. And he is mentioned nowhere else outside of this book that bears his name. Not any place else in the Bible is Nahum mentioned. So it's a little bit difficult to date his writing, what time period did he minister during, and so best guess that scholars come up with is sometime mid-7th century BC. The date that is commonly put on the book of Nahum is 650 BC when he ministered, and it tells us in verse 1, if you look at your Bibles there in verse 1, it says, the burden against Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkishite, and nobody has any idea what that means, him his being an Elkishite. Uh, It probably speaks to his heritage, where he's from, but we don't know a town by that name. So tradition says that actually Capernaum is where he is from, where he was born and raised. Capernaum, of course, became more famous when Jesus made it his home base of ministry for three and a half years. Because Capernaum in Hebrew is from two Hebrew words, Kafar, meaning village, and Nahum, his name. So it means the village of Nahum. So Capernaum is believed to be the traditional place of his birth uh, and um, his childhood. You also notice with me here in verse 1 that it tells us that the message that Nahum delivers is against Nineveh. Now, this is the same Nineveh, to which Jonah was sent by God. Jonah eventually went after a little persuasion in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. You remember that story? Um, and so Jonah goes and he preaches to Nineveh. This is that same Nineveh that Nahum is called to speak against. Now, we talked about Nineveh and the Ninevites a few weeks ago when we were in the book of Jonah, but just by way of a quick review, Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Uh, and it rose to prominence in the 8th and 7th century BC. Nineveh is located in modern Iraq along the Tigris River, just on the other side of the river from modern-day Mosul in Iraq. Uh, So you can see it in its proximity to Israel, located on the coast of the Mediterranean, quite a distance, but this is that city that we're talking about here. And again, remember that the Assyrians were a very ruthless, barbaric people, and they were a godless, idolatrous people. Uh, The Assyrians were notorious for their savage brutality, especially in wartime practices. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but just again so we can familiarize ourselves with uh, the context of the story, uh, during times of uh, warfare, they were known to impale people on stakes They would rape women, burn children, chop off hands, cut off heads, rip out tongues, flay people while alive. They would mutilate the dead. They would pillage and then burn the city. And so they were historically known for this. So these are the people that we're talking about. And again, as I mentioned in Jonah, what is so amazing is that God says to Jonah, these people are worth saving. I want you to go, and I want you to declare to them the good news, and I want them to turn from their sins and repent. And Jonah eventually went and preached, and the Ninevites repented. They turned, and uh, they received the mercy of God. And, And so, you know, when you think about these ruthless, barbaric people, and God would show mercy to them, well, that's the reason why Jonah ran initially. He didn't think that they were deserving of God's mercy. The fact of the matter is, none of us is deserving of God's mercy. But God is rich in mercy and abounding in love. And if he can display his mercy to the Ninevites, it should give hope to us that no matter what we've done in our past, God can still show mercy and forgive us. And that he loves us. And that he has a plan for our lives. Well, when you get here to the book of Nahum, even though Nahum is addressing the same people, the Ninevites, that Jonah did 125 years earlier, the tone now 125 years later, has changed dramatically. God is showing himself with vengeance and justice. So, the book of Jonah, he shows himself with mercy towards the Ninevites. In the book of Nahum, he shows himself as a just judge. I want you to look with me here at chapter 1 now. I'm going to read the first eight verses. The burden against Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkishite. God is jealous. And the Lord avenges, the Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry and dries up all the rivers, Bashan and Carmel wither and the flower of Lebanon wilts. The mountains quake before him; the hills melt, and the earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. So you you get the idea that you know God is—he's angry here. His wrath; he's furious. Verse six: Who can stand before his indignation? And who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. But with an overflowing flood, this is interesting, with an overflowing flood, he will make an utter end of its place and darkness will pursue his enemies. So again, Nahum prophesies about 650 BC and a few decades later in 612 BC, we know this historically, what we just read there in verse eight about an overwhelming flood destroying That's exactly what God did in order to bring down Nineveh. In 612 BC, because it's situated on the banks of the Tigris River, the Tigris River flooded and overwhelmed the city of Nineveh, and as a result of the flood, it um, compromised two and a half miles of the city wall of Nineveh, protecting the city of Nineveh were these thick walls, but the flood... Um, um, compromised the integrity of the walls and they began to crumble and the Babylonians in 612 BC just busted through the breaches of the wall as a result of the flood. And God used an overwhelming flood, as he said here, through the prophet Nahum, to bring down the Ninevites and the Babylonians came in and it was the end of the Assyrian Empire. And the Babylonian Empire then emerged as the world-dominating empire. So the major theme of this book really begs a question. How is it that in about 125 years, give or take, the people of Nineveh went from great revival during the days of Jonah to terrible ruin in the days of Nahum? We're going to answer that question today, and I've entitled today's teaching, Withstanding the Test of Time. I think that you would agree with me that in general, time can either be your friend or your enemy. Depending on the circumstance, time can be your friend, and sometimes time is your enemy. In regards to time being your friend, I'll give you a few examples. One, time is your friend when you need to make a big decision. When you need need to make a major decision in life, it is good to just take your time, pray about it, uh, seek the Lord, uh, perhaps get... Councils, so that everything might be established, you know, in the multitude of counselors. And take your time in making a major decision. Time can be your friend when there's a big decision to be made. Don't rush it. Take time to pray about it. Another way that time can be your friend is in a dating relationship, quite honestly, that you should slow it down. Sim it down now, you know, just slow it down stay pure, but slow it down long enough to get to know each other. Don't rush into it. Single people are like, I want to be married. I want to be married. Okay. Well, listen, there's a lot of married people who want to be single. Don't rush into it. Okay. All right. Um, you need to take time ladies so that you can understand, is he really a stud or is he a spud? You just need to know, you know, and guys, you know, is she fine or is she a diva? You you need some time. To just, you know, make sure. So take it, take it slowly. Time can be your friend. Uh, here's another example. Investments. You know, people who make investments over a long period of time see that, that the benefit of compound interest over time. So, you know, you save when you're young. You put into a retirement fund when you're young. And you, you start to, you know, make just slow, consistent investments. And then eventually over time, time can be your friend. For example, also when you need healing of some kind. Maybe it's physical healing or emotional healing from something. It takes time. Things don't heal overnight. Uh, And even though, you know, I don't know whoever came up with this saying, well, you know, time heals all wounds. Well, they never were wounded then. Because, you know, if you've ever really seriously experienced some devastating loss in your life, time doesn't make it go away. I mean, it might be safe to say that time helps you to manage it, that over time you can manage it better, but, but time doesn't heal everything. There's, there's still plenty of things that people deal with, but nevertheless, time can be your friend, just allowing you a, a time to heal. But then on the other hand, time can be our enemy. Time can be our enemy, for example, time is not always kind in the aging process. <laughs> things start to go south over time. Uh, you can't stop the aging train. It's just going to happen. And I I, I, I ran into somebody in town this week that I hadn't seen in many years, and uh, and he recognized me. I did not recognize him at all, because time had not been very kind to him. And so I I, I stopped and I paused and I I did recall his name, but at first I had no idea who, who he was. I just didn't recognize him. So at first, you know when somebody recognizes you and you don't know them, it's just an easy way, to, if they're a guy, just say, hey, bro, hey, how's it going, bro? You don't know, who, you don't know their name, so you just say, hey, bro. Or if you know, it's, a, it's a lady, hey, sister so-and-so, you know. Just, just you know, you play it easy because you don't really know who they are. So that was the case. D- he doesn't go to our church, don't worry. So, I mean, you know, I just, but I didn't recognize him. Time had not been kind to him. Dolly Parton once said, Time marches on and sooner or later you realize it is marching across your face. <laughs> of course, this from someone who has used a lot of surgery to try to reverse the effects of time, but that's another story. Uh, time is also your enemy when you're having fun. You know, that, that summer vacation that you don't want to end. Uh, Time is your enemy like, oh, you know, it's the end of the vacation or some, you know, fun thing you're doing with your friends or or did you ever get depressed at the end of summer? Because, you know, school is starting back up and like uh, if we could just make time stand still so we could enjoy the vacation or enjoy the holiday or enjoy the summer. So sometimes time is your enemy in, in that regard. Also, when a deadline is approaching, time is your enemy. That school assignment that is due, that sales quota because it's the end of the month, uh, the, the, the inspection sticker on in your car that needs to you know get inspected, it's about to expire, time you feel is your enemy. But I think that perhaps the biggest way that time is your enemy, please hear me on this, is when the passing of time causes something that once was special and important and cherished to become common and ordinary and unwanted just because of the passing of time. Unfortunately, it happens in marriages all the time. What once was something extraordinary and exciting and cherished between two people in love slowly, over time, became ordinary, and common, and unwanted. We know this to be true, how people can slowly drift apart over time, because time can be our enemy. We have to work at maintaining closeness and keeping a relationship strong and vibrant, And we have to intentionally push back against the natural tendency of time to kill a good thing. The same thing is true in your relationship with the Lord. When you first become a Christian, everything is exciting and vibrant and fresh, new, it's special, It's, it's important, it's cherished. But slowly, over time, if you're not careful... Your walk with the Lord will just become common and ordinary and unwanted. And just like with a marriage, your relationship with God will suffer if you allow time to erode just how special it is. Valuable things, important things, things that were once so treasured can be lost to the enemy of time if we are not careful. Now, I mention all of this because that's the theme of this book. When we come here to the book of Nahum, this is what happened here. 125 years earlier, Jonah comes into Nineveh and he preaches the good news, and there's revival, and there's fasting and prayer, and the king of Nineveh issues an edict that everybody needs to turn to God, and people get on their faces before God, and they have They have a sincere God moment, and there's great revival. But now we're 125 years later here in the book of Nahum. Uh, Barely four generations have passed, and now the same people are no longer walking with God. They have forsaken God. They have turned their backs on God, and they have gone back to their previous way of living. Evil wicked, idolatrous lives. And so God turned from his mercy in the book of Jonah to his wrath here in the book of Nahum, and he brings judgment on the Ninevites. Now, for those who think that God should have been more merciful to to these people here, I want to ask a couple of questions. How long does God have to be patient with us? How long is long enough How long can we continue to toy with God and get away with it? At some point, you see, though he is a merciful God abounding in love and mercy, he will not let wickedness go unpunished. He gave Nineveh a chance. There were people who responded and repented and turned to God, but Less than four generations later, and now people have forsaken God and turned their backs on him. And so we need to understand that within the character and nature of God is both mercy and justice. In Romans chapter 11, verse 22, Paul writes, therefore consider the goodness and severity of God. The NIV says, consider the kindness and the sternness of God. He is both kind and stern. He is both merciful and just. He is both good and severe, and he will not allow wickedness to go unpunished forever. And time is up for Nineveh. Now, our story raises a couple of theological questions, and and I'm just going to address really one of them before I move on to the practical part and how all this applies to our lives. But theologically speaking, the question becomes, since God knows all things, And since he knew that the Ninevites would eventually turn on him and forsake him, why send Jonah in the first place to begin with? I mean, really, if if God knew that these people are going to have a temporary revival, but then a few generations later, uh, they're going to turn their backs on God, why even bother? Well, in answer to that question, first, this is important to understand. God does not show mercy dependent upon man staying true to God. God shows us mercy for his own name's sake. The Bible says in Isaiah 48, 9, for my name's sake, I will defer my anger and for my praise, I will restrain it from you. In Ezekiel 20, verse 44, then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have dealt with you for my name's sake, not according to your wicked ways, nor according to your corrupt doings, O house of Israel, says the Lord God. David understood this, he would write in Psalm one oh nine twenty one, but you, O God the Lord, deal with me for your name's sake, because your mercy is good, deliver me. See, David even understood, I got to call on the mercy of God, but I can't expect that I deserve anything, because it's for his name's sake that he does what he does. He's a merciful God. If God's mercy was dependent upon my deserving of it, your deserving of it, or how well we persevered in it, we would never receive his mercy. God gives us mercy, not dependent or contingent on us, but on the basis of his own namesake. He says, because I so choose to love, because I so choose to be gracious, because I so choose to be merciful. And then he lavishes his grace and his mercy and his love on us. But it's not because we've done something or we're so deserving or we're so special or or we're so good at persevering through what God has given us. We are often unfaithful, ungrateful people, sinful to the core. And yet God says, but in my mercy, I will go after you and I will pursue you and I love you. And this is what he does. So he doesn't withhold his mercy because he knows that in the long run the Ninevites are going to turn on him. He's merciful for his own namesake. And this is another, another important point in answering the question. Even though there was a generation that Nahum addresses of the Ninevites that have forsaken God and they will incur the wrath of God and the judgment of God, there were a couple of generations earlier who had turned to the Lord who very well will see in heaven. So thank God that he did not have some cavalier attitude towards the Ninevites and just like, well, you know, I know that you're going you're gonna to eventually turn from me, so why even give you a chance? No, because then otherwise all of us would be doomed. He determines to show his mercy to people that are often so undeserving because that's how God operates. Romans 5 verse 8. God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Aren't you glad that God didn't wait for you to get your act together before he decided to show mercy to you? I am. Yeah, praise God. Give him praise for that because that's who he is. He acts on our behalf without any dependence upon us. So what I want us to focus on in the the few minutes we have left are... In a practical sense, how can we sustain our walk with God over time? Because again, time can be our enemy and and just getting complacent and a little apathetic, a little lazy about our walk with the Lord and before you know it, we're not walking with him. Is an
0: open ocean, jump in and you'll find the cornerstones. your connection run towards your new life. The warnings and prophecies found in the minor prophet books can be intense, but they remind you of one thing. God is patient. He doesn't exact judgment on those who have sinned immediately. Instead, God shows mercy. He gives you ample time to come to Him in repentance, handing the wrongs you've committed over to Him and letting His love restore you. Because of that love for His creation, God sent His only Son to die on the cross in your place, taking your sins with Him. Jesus' death provides you the opportunity at a new life and forgiveness for all your wrongs. Are you ready to come to Jesus in repentance today and receive this grace? We'd like to talk more with you, so please give us a call at 703-771-1500. That's 703-771-1500. We also want to invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30 and 11.45 a.m., as well as on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. If you're not able to be with us in person, we do offer each service online as well. Again, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to connect. Thanks for tuning in today for Pastor Gary's message, and we hope you'll join us again right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know